Isaiah chapter 1, I'm just going to read this verse with you, if I can. Verse number 9, it's a great verse to underline in your Bible. Except the Lord of hosts hath left us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and Gomorrah. We should have been likened to Gomorrah. You know, I just think about um, our day and time in which we live. And we live in the greatest country on the planet. I'm very thankful for that. But we are in a dark, dark time. It just feels like we're getting smaller and smaller as God's people, and sin is getting more and more rampant, more and more discouraging. It doesn't matter, you know, you, you, if you watch whatever newscast, it can get you overwhelmed with just frustration, aggravation, anger with what is going on. It seems like wrong is right, right is wrong. It seems like uh, if something is wicked, it thinks it's funny. If something is pure, it's ridiculous. Just an aggravating state of time. And the farther we get away from God, and the Bible tells us that in the last times, men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. So we already know that this world is in a funnel winding down to God. And we're living in the last days. I don't know for sure if all of us or any of us will see the Lord's coming. I would be absolutely shocked if we do not. I had a man talking to me today, and he was giving me what he felt like was a potential time when the Lord would come. And we don't know the day or the hour. I guess you could know the year, maybe, but not the day or the hour. And, but he felt like he knew the year, and so I'm glad to listen to him, and I can't wait. If he wants to come back then, that'd be fine. If he wants to come back now, I'll be great. But in the meantime, there needs to be, there is a remnant of people that need to be righteous, and we're not by ourselves. As a matter of fact, we got a lot better than the apostles had it. We have a lot better than Apostle Paul had it in Rome. We have a lot better than Daniel had it in Babylon. We have a lot better than Nehemiah had it in Persia. We have a lot better than our friends in Saudi Arabia or Yemen or Morocco or China or Venezuela or Cuba. We have a lot better than most places of the whole world. But we still are a remnant. I want to just talk to you this evening and just to kind of rehash a little bit this morning. I'm going to watch your time, and I don't think it's going to go by very long before we'll be done. But I want to just remind you, I think there are some characteristics we can see in the life of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. These four Hebrew boys that we have highlighted, there were hundreds of them who came from Israel to Babylon. I would think most of them did not stand for the Lord. Most of them probably did what young men do when they're away from their families, they're away from their church, they just go off and live like an idiot. But we know of four of them, and God highlights them. We know that Daniel served and was faithful to God until he was an old man. He served under three Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar and Darius. He went to the lion's den when he was at least 70 years after being there. He may have been as, as, as old as his late 80s, early 90s, when he was cast into the lion's den. God used him, and it seems like he gave him pressure points and pressure, uh, sudden pressure upon him at decisions, and, and he did the right thing. And every time he did, God got glorified in his life. And I can't help but think if God can do that with Daniel, he can do that with you. 
He can do that with me. In this society, in this country, in Ham, Indiana, in Crown Point, Chicago, or wherever else that God may take your life one day, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And God used Daniel, and he can use you and me. But the story with Daniel is that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar. He came to Jerusalem three times. The first time, he took a, a sampling of some of their more talented people. Daniel was in that group along with his three Hebrew friends and probably hundreds of others. They marched some 400 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. They had every intent to, uh, to get them used to the culture, to teach them the tongue and the learning from books and from philosophy and from the history of the Babylonian people. They changed their diet. They changed their environment. They changed their language. They changed their learning. And they had, they had a plan for them. They were going to take the strength from Jerusalem and make it a strength of Babylon. But in the midst of that, four young men that God highlights here were a remnant. They were just four. There may have been others, but God doesn't give us those. He gives us four names. And they were small compared to the whole nation of, of Babylon. At the time, Babylon was the world leader. Nebuchadnezzar was the strongest. Belshazzar, he took over as a grandson of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar, most likely. He wasn't as strong. His, his kingdom went from um, being the Babylonian kingdom, Medes and Persian. It was divided. And then, of course, Darius came on after that. But nonetheless, we see that, that these four men who were committed to God did something special. What did they have in them? What was the attributes they had? A couple of things I want to share with you. And number one, just by way of review, they had a heart that was purposed on pleasing the Lord. The Bible tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. He was purposed in his heart. And all of us need to sober up and say, listen, why am I still breathing air on this planet? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? If you're young, you ought to do that. If you're old, you ought to do that. If you're a man or a woman, every one of us ought to look herself in the mirror and, then, and, and turn our gaze to God and say, God, what am I supposed to be doing with the time, the talents, the treasure, the responsibility, the training, the trials that you've given me? What do you want me to do? And let God lead you and help you to do that. He purposed in his heart, whatever he was going to do, he wasn't going to defile himself. That's point number two. We need not, in, a, in a, a remnant, a righteous remnant, in a very dark day, in a dark country, in a dark time of our nation's history, we need people that will be purposed. Don't say, well, forget it. It doesn't worth anything, or whatever. That's one of the worst words you can ever say. Teenagers don't say that. Kids don't say that. Adults don't say that. Well, whatever. Sarah, Sarah, whatever happens, happens. Don't do that. You're supposed to walk with purpose. You got to understand that there's something God's doing. And even in the darkest night, there's something that God is doing right now while we're sitting here in this service. There's something God wants you to do tomorrow. There's someone that you can interact with. There's something God wants you to say, Pastor, I don't even get out of my house very much. Are you going to pay bills? Put a gospel track in it. Write a letter to somebody. Call someone. Text somebody. Take a walk around the block and ask God to give you somebody that you can talk to about Jesus. Yesterday was witnessing to a man named Ronnie, and, uh, and uh, Ronnie, he's like, we talked about him, oh, no, I, I've always been saved. I was brought up in it. We started talking about, okay, now when did you get saved? I just told you, my grandpa was a pastor. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. When did you personally? He said, don't you worry about me, I'm good. 
I'm not so sure Ronnie's good. But you know, God can give us opportunities to talk to people. And he said, okay, here's the track. He said, okay, I promise you, I will read your paper. I'll read it. But you know, the truth of the matter is, we got to look for people every single day. Our heart is purpose to please the Lord. Number two, to live undefiled, to live pure. Purity is powerful. And you got to be different to make a difference. you got to be separated from the world to the Lord. And I, I just am very grateful. I'm not what I ought to be, and this church is not what I ought to be, and you're not what you ought to be, and none of us are, but we ought to be on the high road of holiness. We ought to be obviously committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and our thinking and our philosophies and not be, not be spoiled by the world's uh, thinking. Third thing I want to encourage you to with, I think in a dark day, we need to stand up in times of pressure decision. You'll see as you read the book of Daniel, and it's a narrative in the first six chapters. The last six chapters are much more prophetic in themes. Much of the things of Daniel from chapter 7 to chapter 12 have not even been fulfilled yet. They, it's an Old Testament prophet that has a lot of New Testament and future events, and Revelation and Daniel are kind of studied together. But chapters 1 through 6 are very narrative. But what you do see in chapter 1, you see that there, he's pressured to eat food and drink wine that he knows violates his, his, his principles. He's got, a, he's got something he's got to do here. In chapter 2, the king has a decree where Brother John read for us. He has, a, he has a dream. He wants to know the meaning of the dream, and he can't remember the dream. So he can't remember the dream, and he wants the meaning of the dream. He calls in his astrologers and his wise men, and he said, okay, he said, well, if you can just tell us the dream, we can tell you the meaning of the dream. He said, you're a bunch of liars. Tell me my dream and the meaning of the dream. They said, that's unreasonable. He said, well, I'm going to cut you in pieces and make your house of, of dunghill. He said, I'll kill all of you. And he was going to kill the, the group of young men he brought from Israel. But then Daniel said, what's the haste on this? So Ariok comes in and said, you guys are all dead meat. He said, why? He said, the king's had a dream, and he can't remember the dream, and he can't remember the need of the dream. And once again, the pressure came. And here's where I find that we need to learn to understand that pressure is a part of the Christian life. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall. I don't like suffering. I'm allergic to suffering. <laughs> I want to be where suffering's not. I don't want things to be hard. But the Bible says endure Hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He reminds us it's not going to be a walk in the park. We're not going to do what God wants us to do on spare time and pocket change. It's going to be a little bit difficult. It's going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy. And if we're looking for an easy road, we're, we're looking down the wrong road. But he, he, he found, we see the three Hebrew boys. It was either bow or burn. He's got a, now this, 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 uh, this king sets up an idol for himself, and, and when he hears the rock concert start, just get on your knees and, and start bowing toward that. And they said, we can't do that. The word got out, the three of you guys who are in charge and have risen, because after, after Daniel tells the dream, then he gets exalted, and so do his, his, his colleagues. And with every pressure, difficult time, He's elevated, God's, God's glory is manifested, and he gets promoted. But with the promotion, it doesn't come just easy sailing, it comes more pressure. And the pressure comes on, and it's bow or burn. And then they say, well, you know, we don't have to decide on what to do here. <laughs> you don't have to give us another chance. We're not going to bow. 
He said, I'll heat it up seven times hotter. He said, King, do what you're going to do. We're not going to bow. If God wants us to go to heaven this way, this is how we'll do it. But we're not going to bow. And they, of course, they threw him in the furnace. People died putting him in the furnace. They, they're in there, and they're joined with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finally looking around there, and they're still walking around. And he said, do we throw three or four guys in? He goes, you have three guys in there. He said, well, the fourth is likened to the Son of God. And it just teaches us that God is not going to keep us from the fires of life, but he'll join us in the fire. He's not going to keep you from the difficulties. He's not going to keep you from that graveside. He's not going to keep you from having cancer in every situation. He's not going to keep you from the heartaches and the difficulties of rejection or, uh, or maybe financial problems or being stolen from or cars breaking down. You say, well, you're a Christian. You just never have any problems. That's not true. He's not going to keep you from the difficult times. But he's, going to, he's going to be with you in the difficult times. We live in a, he, they live in a very pagan culture. And they were slaves at best until God brought them to places of authority. And yet, we see that God blessed them. God, gave, God allowed them to go through pressure times. Daniel, he was, he was the head of all the princes, the presidents. There were several of them. And, and the other two guys, the other three guys, they, they, they said, you know what? This guy is so squeaky clean, there's nothing we can do. The only way we'll ever get him is to get him through his religion. Because every day, everybody knew that Daniel would bow his knee morning, noon, and night, toward Jerusalem and toward the temple, and he would praise the Lord. He would talk to God. He would thank him. He said, well, let's get this decree. They tricked the king. The king signed the decree. No one can worship anyone uh, but him for so many days. And then they, they watched Daniel. The door opened. The window opened up. He knew it was signed. It was a pressure point. It was a pressuring situation. He opened the windows. He faced toward heaven. God began to... God. God began to deal with him like he's done, and he talked to the Lord, he praised the Lord, he talked to, he talked to God, and then the police come in. Pulled him in there, and he said, hey, this guy right here, and the, the king thought, oh, no, no, what have I done? This is my right-hand man, this is my key president. And they brought him in, he tried every way he could, it was a, it was a law of Medes and Persians, could not go back on it. The other guys are saying, you've got to do this, king. You've got to do this, king. And he, really, he saw between the lines what was going on. But he had no choice. And he said, Daniel, the Lord that thou servest continually, he'll help you. <laughs> Here's this pagan king has more faith than many of us would have. And he turns him in there, and he stays up all night, and refuses to have any music, and refuses to eat anything. And the next morning, goes down there and says, Daniel, the, girl, the God you served, did he, did he take care of you? He said, oh, yeah, he took care of me. And, of course, the other folks were uh, put to death with the very, very lions that he was supposed to eat him. They, they devoured them before they can get to the bottom of the cave. And God, once again, exalts Daniel. And he gets glorified in that. I don't know about you. I don't like trials. You don't like trials. We ought to embrace them and see what is God trying to do in the trial. Not why me, but what do I need to learn here? What do I need to go through this weekend? I was talking to Liz Getty on the phone whenever I heard that her two boys went home to be the Lord. And one of the first things I told her is that God knows what it's like to lose a child. And he's going to help you. I've seen him help Linda and help me. And I'm not saying it's an easy road. I'm saying it's terrible. It's hard. It's difficult. But if you let God help you, Liz, you'll help other people in time. 
The reason I can call you with somewhat confidence to tell you this is going to work out is because I've been there. And God uses the difficult trials of your life to help other people through their difficult trials. Unless you fall in love with your grief and your sufferings and your comfort zone, then you're going to find yourself very frustrated. You can waste your trials. God will not waste them. The only way you waste them is when you make them about you. It's hard to be me. How can this happen to me? How can I have this like this? And no one understands what I'm going through. And all this, it, one common denominator is you and I are in that common denominator. We have to look to ourselves see what God's trying to accomplish. So I find that a righteous remnant, uh, we need to, number one, have a purposed heart, an undefiled life. Be a pure Christian. Be holy. Be squeaky clean. And then we need to be able to handle pressure situations. Also, we need praying friends. Go back to our text, if you would, please. Daniel chapter 2. And the decree went forth, verse 13, and went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So they came to him with the, with the, ready to take him to the chopping block. And Daniel answered the counsel, the wisdom, with counsel and wisdom. By the way, whenever you have someone to talk to, those are two things to remember, counsel and wisdom. Because they're coming at him hard. He said, now, Lord, you're going to have to give me wisdom. By the way, trials demand prayer for wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him... That's in the context of trials. The verses before that tell us, count it all joy when you fall into divers. Temptations are trials. In trials, number one thing we need is wisdom. Remember Job? When Job, he had the worst day of any human being I know. And the Bible says he handled it without being foolish. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God how? Foolishly. He exercised wisdom. Well, Daniel had a problem, and he sought counsel from the Lord, and he got wisdom from the Lord, and he appealed to them. But I love what he said here. Would you look, if you would please, verse number 15. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. A couple things real quickly. Success brings access. Daniel had already been highlighted because of his wisdom and because of his, of his counsel, and he had access to the king. I don't think every guy could just walk into the king's thing. And by the way, one of the things we ought to pray for missionaries, Brother Faust and others, pray that God would give them uh, key men that would open their heart to the gospel. When you pray with someone, you ought to, when you ought to say, God, give me someone that would be a leader. When someone gets saved, ask them, do you have someone else in your family we could talk to? Oftentimes, one person getting saved will be a domino effect for many others if we don't waste it. You could ask them, is there anybody else you think that wouldn't want to hear about this? Can I take this to someone else? Can I turn this into somebody? Is there anybody else you want to follow up with? But he had had, he had had wisdom and success, and that brought him access to the king. So he walks into the king and says, if you can just give me some time. But notice what he did with his time. What do you do with your time? Here's look and see what he does. Can we do that, please? Verse number 16. He went to the king. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they would desire the mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret. He said, well, guys, we got to pray. We got to look and see if God will be merciful to tell us what's going on. And Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, read it with me, would you please, everyone? 
This is beautiful to me. A remnant, a righteous remnant in a dark place or a dark day, they need someone to pray with them. They need to understand what prayer means. <clears throat> you know, I, I want to just challenge this church not just to pray by yourself. I think we ought to pray in secret. But I think praying together is very important. You know, just during our prayer time, I was praying with Brother Quotso. And it's something that helped me. When I hear Brother Quotso pray, it, it's something that helps me. God wants us to corporately pray. He could have said, you know, guys, listen, now pray for me, but he said, you, all of us pray. Let's pray that God does them. I think corporate prayer, we underestimate it. You guys there at First Baptist Church, you know that I'm on a little bit of a journey with you on this. We'd have many services that we didn't have corporate prayer. If someone pray to start the service, someone pray to end the service. Not pray before, after we read the scriptures, but to stop. And I, I want to say to the church family on a Sunday night, thank you for considering an effort that you put into praying together. We had our prayer meetings recently on, on the, that time from October 1st until, until our prayer revival. Many of you turned out to those things. We have 15 prayer meetings that meet. I saw tonight when I stepped out of my office after meeting with people. I looked across there and I see, I see people praying. There was another prayer meeting upstairs at 8.30 in the morning. Here on Sunday morning, Brother and Mrs. Maxwell host a prayer meeting and Miss Rhonda and some others come to that prayer meeting. I think it's so important we learn to pray. Pressure moments. You say, Pastor, I don't really need to pray. You know what you need to do? Start serving God. You'll see a reason to pray. <laughs> you, start being, you start getting involved in people's lives, you're going to realize, I, I need the Lord here. And I want to encourage you, don't run away from corporate prayer. Run to it. And then God said he gave him a secret. Through the prayers of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel, God gave Daniel the secret. It's beautiful here, but another thing we need to do, uh, the righteous remnant need to learn to praise the Lord. He got his answer. He didn't just say, I know what happened. Let's go. He took time to praise God for what happened. Look at it, if you would please, if you can please, in verse number 20. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings, he setteth up kings, he giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Verse number 22, He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is the darkness and is the light that dwelleth with him. I thank thee, I praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might. And has made known to me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. I don't know about you, but it kind of gets me excited just reading that. I wonder how well, and that's a, that's, a, that's a prayer of praise. Someone said all powerful prayer is packed with praise. Don't try saying that five times in a hurry, but that's a good statement. Is make sure that when God answers your prayer, thank him for it. Students, when you pray for help on an exam and God helps you, boy, stop and praise him for it. Whenever you need wisdom and God gives you wisdom or you need protection and God takes something away and, and keeps it from harming you, we've got to praise the Lord for those things. I think a righteous remnant need to pray. I'm going to give you a couple other thoughts just in closing. I don't want to continue preaching much longer. But I think another thing that a righteous remnant needs to do is to courageously stand when they need to. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's either bow or burn. He said, well, bring us on. Bring it on. Let God take care of it. 
We've got to have a courageous stand. I don't know exactly when that is in every situation, but you'll know when it happens to you. You'll know when it happens to you. Sometimes it might be at the workplace. It might be at the government, at a government authority. It might be uh, at a family reunion, but you'll know. We need to have people in a righteous remnant who will learn to stand. Number two, we need people that have, a, and that next one, have an excellent spirit. One of the things when Daniel was referred to, this guy has a spirit of God's and he has an excellent attitude, an excellent spirit. I think there's something about that. If you get mad with the clerk at the, at the counter, if you honk at everybody when you're going by because you're upset because they didn't put their signal on, you're no different than the unsaved world. If we're harsh with people and not gracious with people and we have opinions and we give it out there, if you put everything out on Facebook and, and social media that's going on, negative and things you don't like, pro or con, we're no, we're no different than the unsaved world. Daniel, the Bible said what was known about him, and when grandma came in, the queen came in and said, there's a guy in your kingdom, he has an excellent spirit. And he was just one of four guys that are referenced here from the Hebrew group. But one of four guys said, this guy, he's got a great attitude. I think it's something we need in a righteous remnant today. And I don't, I don't know where you can use it, if it's at work, if it's your neighborhood, if your situation. I was The other day I was getting very curt and frustrated with something, and, and the Lord convicted me. He said, John, really? You're going to make a mountain out of this molehill? Just because it inconvenienced you, you're going to, just, you're going to show yourself a fool? And it's not just about, it was about me. But boy, if I'm not careful, I'll take that over, and then, then someone else has a bad opinion of Christ. And then I say the last thing real quickly. We need to have a, a really a, a consistent testimony. One of the things that God tells about him, if you can look at it real quickly as we close, look at chapter 5, would you please? Verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14, and I want you to read this passage. Boy, chapter 5 is just loaded. I don't have time to go into it. But look at chapter 5, verse 14. Are you ready? Read that first line, would you? I have even... Would you look at chapter, six, chapter 5, verse 16? And I... Very quickly, go to chapter 6, if you would please. In verse number 16, the king commanded. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel... Would you read the rest of it verse with me? Thy God, whom thou servest... In the last few words of verse number 20, it says, and, and the God is thy God whom thou servest, how? Able to deliver thee from the lions. I think there's something about being a consistent Christian. And constant. You know, I, I want to thank you for many of you are this way. You're just growing in the Lord and you've been very consistent through difficult times. Keep doing that. Don't get weary in well-doing. Do season, you'll reap, you faint not. Your neighbor's watching you. I have a situation going on in my life, and life of Linda and mine. And there's somebody who is so antagonistic, and yet I can see the Lord's dealing with them. And I'm praying, because they won't even give us a chance to talk to them yet. But their hearts are softening up. God is doing a work, causing loneliness and hurt and frustration, causing them to look to the Lord. And I'm praying that God will do it. But you know, one of the things I think is so important is your powerful testimony. The God that you serve continually. Because people are talking about you. If you're a child of God and you're living a holy life, you're a source of conversation. 
This old king said, I have heard of you. I have heard of thee. The God that you serve continually. A righteous remnant needs to be a group of people that, uh, that have a good testimony. A consistent testimony. I want that for you and you surely want that when you stand before God one day. When Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, hey, this know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. You're going to have a bunch of selfish sinners. There's 18 symptoms. Sexual sinners, they're going to lead silly women laden with sins. Searching sinners, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But then they will proceed no further. He said, but thou hast fully known my manner of life and my conversation. He said, you knew my testimony. And this world, what they need terribly right now is someone with a good testimony. Someone who is the real deal. Because if people don't trust you, they will not trust what you tell them. You're not going to have a chance to tell them anything if you can't live the life in a godly way. And Daniel stepped up at a time where he was needed. And you are going to be needed. You're going to have the opportunity to do something, but only if your testimony is what it ought to be. Nothing as embarrassing and shameful is to have something to say, but don't have a platform to say it. Because our life has been a lie. May God help us to humble ourselves and let's be a righteous remnant.